Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. On our Be Brave at Work podcast today, I'm really excited to welcome Joe Caruso. Joe is an author, business advisor, and speaker, and is a renowned expert on the individual and collective mind and how understanding and meaning drive behavior. Joe brings this expertise to the collective mind of an organization and helps leaders change the way they see themselves and consequently the way they think about markets, products, and services. This change in thinking drives new behavior that allows an organization to sharpen its focus, increase profitability and productivity, and reach greater levels of success. CEOs, admirals, and leaders call on Joe and his company Caruso Leadership for strategic advice, leadership development, and organizational training to achieve undeniable success in their respective markets. Welcome to our podcast today, Joe. Thanks, Ed. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We are thrilled that you're here, and I made a slight attempt to introduce you, and I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about yourself and how you are currently interacting in the marketplace. Oh, thank you for asking. I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, You said this is a podcast only, no video? Correct. So I'm I'm about six foot four, long flowing hair. Uh, Picture any romance novel cover. Pretty much you have it. No. That's what I'm seeing, people. That's what I can see. Oh, God, I love you. Stunningly handsome man. (laughs) I I spend an hour a day, four hours a week, or four hours a day, an hour each, talking to CEOs. Uh, I... Uh, speak. I speak on my my most recent book. I've got a new book coming out. I speak on that on the subject of the mind. Your mind, you know, athletes know their bodies. They know this is the day I can do this, and this is the day I play safe. Most people don't know they have a mind, let alone how it's in the way limiting outcome. I always think meaning, behavior, outcome. That's a sequence that's unbreakable. So the meaning is. Who am I today? Who am I supposed to be in any role? How can I optimize it? Because once you really change the way you think, you will behave to the way you think. I'm not, I don't train behavior. I train thinking. I I try to, I I position myself and I'm fortunate enough to do this as uh, 
uh, I don't come in the middle of an organization. I come in from the top. And I do that just because, it, firstly, the, 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 be- the top of the organization is the mind, drives the collective mind of the organization. So if I don't have access to that first, I really am got one hand be tie- tied behind my back in the rest of efforts. So CEOs and their leadership teams, yes. Fantastic. And you know, I'm just wondering for our listeners if we can kind of open the curtain, so to speak, on the life of a CEO. Most people think CEOs are all incredibly brave. After all, that's what they had to be in order to get where they are and that they operate in a way of complete confidence and knowing the market and knowing their business and make decisions in a, you know, from the knee type uh, action. And I'm just wondering, you know, is that accurate? And maybe you can share with us some of your reflections with leaders you've worked with in the past and how they operate. There's different types of CEOs. First, um, many sh- studies have been done on this, but at least the, the lowest number I've seen is 85% are optimists. So most CEOs are optimists. Are they brave? Well, optimists believes in themselves. Uh, I'm not sure that all optimists are brave. You know, having courage is knowing the danger and doing it anyway. Otherwise, you're just stupid. Then there's the founder-owner CEOs who who are uh, usually the smartest person in the room in their mind because they thunk it up, whatever it is, and everybody else is a minion, kind of. Now, this isn't always true has a tendency to be true. Uh, Then there's the CEOs that surround themselves with advisors or they belong to young president's organization uh, and have a lot of smart people advising them. Most have learned to listen. Um, Most recognize that the hardest work they have to do is on themselves. Most are pretty smart, are in the position because they deserve to be in the position. Some have rubber stamp boards. And some have boards that hold their feet to the fire. So, so CEOs can vary. The, the distinction for me is if someone calls and says, hey, I think I could benefit from you. If you could do all those things, which, by the way, I guarantee. I, I, I'm not saying I guarantee it per, you know, verbally. I'm saying it's in my contract. You'll get what you want. And, and, but you've got to do your work. And that's the hardest work. And CEOs know that. So most of them, all mine, all mine do for sure. That they, um, that, that, that just to pause you for a second, that mm-hmm. the work, the work that needs to be done, they have to do, right? If they're not an active participant or think you're going to come in and save the day and that they can sit and ride your coattails, it doesn't sound like it would be a great relationship. You've got to lead an organization, not just follow out front the way it's already going. They've got to, they've got, they teach people how to think. You know, we're, we're social animals like dogs, not cats. CEO is always in the room because it, it creates what I call a foundational context. I once worked with a small group, keep it short, and uh, there was a founder, owner, CEO, hired an, a gun, hired gun CEO. And many of the people that were with that person, her name was Marilyn, when she started the company, were in the room. We had two newbies, one brand newbie and one kind of newbie. And I went around the room and I said, how many people think the ghost of Marilyn is still in the room? And by what percent is she here driving what we're allowing ourselves to consider? 
And all the older folks said, or the people that had been with her longer from the inception, said, uh, not at all. And the newbies said, 90 and 95%. So yes, the leader has to do his own or her own work. It's the critical part. And we had fun in our discussions, a lot of fun. It's fun to learn about yourself, but the work is what you consider. How can you consider yourself differently? What else could this mean? And that's the work. So for our listeners, Joe, I'm just wondering if we could reflect a little bit about the common profile of a CEO. I think you gave a great description of the variations that might exist in VEO, uh, CEOs. And of course, like with anything, there's a whole spectrum of types of people, whether it's policemen or CEOs or doctors, whatever it might be. What about bravery as it comes to CEOs? And of course, we would say they need to be brave, potentially. But uh, what do you think about or what do you reflect on as it pertains to the word bravery and the role and expectations for a CEO? I I believe we think in story, we understand in narrative, including ourselves. So I'm going to answer that with a story, but not to disregard the question. I was hired to speak to all over 700 uh, Navy attorneys, Navy lawyers in Washington, D.C. In front of me, was the sec- uh, in other words, the person that spoke right before me was the Secretary of the Navy. Uh, ate into my time by about 20 minutes, which I didn't appreciate, but he, it, you know, his nuclear weapons, I didn't get angry about it um, <laughs> or offensive. Uh, <laughs> but he said one thing that stood out in his entire speech. He's trying to tell the lawyers, facilitate your captains and your admirals. But don't protect them from all danger, which is now where we get to bravery. And he said it brilliantly. He said, your job is to assess downside risk, to analyze and mitigate that risk in a plan and act against the risk. And that's what CEOs do. I thought it was best some, I mean, I'm giving you his answer, I guess. Um, I'm just secondhanding uh the message. But I think that was, I thought that was brilliant. Well, the most interesting piece of what you just said was the stunning uh, observation that the Navy has 700 attorneys. Over 700. Yeah. Well, you know, almost every, I mean, if you're in the Coast Guard and you want to board a ship, you got to know what your legal ramifications are for doing that. Even if you know it's packed to the gills with heroin, it doesn't matter. And so, yes, they, 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 uh, every, every captain, every admiral, they, they've got attorneys and, and they have to uh, act within the law. Right. And how about you, Joe, when you think about the work you've done uh, and having your own practice, which some people would say requires some degree of bravery and the clients that you work with, you know, what words or phrases come to mind when you think about bravery at work? The difference between assumption and deduction, assumption is a, a fool's errand. Deduction requires skill. And then assessing the risk. I never take a blind shot because if I'm wrong on my blind shot, then my clients will question all the advice I ever give them. And they should. Absolutely. I don't get to be wrong. So bravery with me was 
I didn't have a college degree because of the cancer that I was diagnosed with. I couldn't finish college. I didn't come from 20 years in Ford Motor Company or some big company that gave me some title that I could go into this career. I came up with a promise of studying how minds work five hours a day, five days a week for the rest of my life and happen to get cured from the incurable cancer. So here I am now keeping that damn promise with a, with a hell of a mind, a great memory. Did I say great memory yet? Okay. Great memory. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the, uh, the ability to, to be selfless so I could be fully and empathically in the moment with the other and say the right thing telling the right story in the right way to the right person for the right reason without having the insecurity, which is a lack of bravery, bravery to just say what I want to say the way I feel like saying it. It's having the courage to be selfish. Gandhi talked about that quite a bit before, before they shot him. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to observe, Joe, that you are the first guest to use the words assumption and deduction as something they think about when they think about bravery at work. And I think it's an incredibly insightful observation because we are all at risk of making assumptions that kind of dictate our behavior. If I assume you're going to react in a certain way, if I want to tell you something that might be difficult to hear or make other assumptions, my likelihood of doing it may not uh, increase. It might actually decrease because I've made all of these types of assumptions. Can you tell us a little bit more when you say assumptions are kind of a fool's errand? You know, what what do you mean by that? And why should people avoid or look for ways to ensure what they're thinking about are the result of deductive thinking and not assumptions? I have a friend that um, uh, always says, well, I'm sure, and then says the statement, without Googling it or looking like, like that store, I'm sure that store is open. And I, I'm like, I, 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 I can't say those words unless I'm sure, you know, and I'm conscious. I'm quite conscious of it. Now, deductive reasoning is different. Deductive is I'm writing in my new book. It's going to be called uh, quintessential leadership. Uh, and in the book we talk, I talk about awareness, levels of awareness, uh, some people actually know what's happened or what is happening. Some people don't. <laughs> they just don't. Or they misread it in misdiagnosis because they're so sure and stuck in whatever way they think. You know, uh, somebody can think that someone just made fun of you when, in fact, they were honoring you as, 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 uh, the, the great German philosopher Goethe wrote, often people make fun of people, things that they can't do themselves. Uh, he said it in, in a much more beautiful way, but that's the essence of what he said in his autobiography. And, and uh, so I think that if you study Sherlock Holmes, just read the book, just read any of the books. Or the old Nero Wolf series, which is quite outdated from a um, uh, from a moray point of view, but any detective has to take a look at things and say, what could it mean? I was on the phone with somebody today and I said something and they said, oh, so that per-, I was relaying a story and he, he said, oh, so that person was overly confident. I said, or tremendously insecure in trying to 
put up a false front to impress everybody else in the room. That's a gamut. And someone who's a deducer has to consider what my psychoanalytic friend, Curtis Bristol, says, who's contributing to my new book, is, is what else could this mean? What else could this mean? What else could be happening? Well, I love that as a both a coaching question to ask a client when they come to a conclusion or are thinking about something. They have one answer in their head, and you might say, I hear that that is how you're seeing it. What else could it mean, right? And they start thinking about what those options should be. And likewise, if you want to have a conversation with somebody at work that requires bravery, uh, l- looking at what it is that they're doing or why they might do it, needs to answer the question, what else could it mean, right? It may not be, or it may not come from where I think it comes from. It might be coming from somewhere else, right? And uh, really understanding, you know, what else can this mean is incredible. It's an extremely powerful way of kind of surfacing options. I, 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 I was struck by that. I misdialed him once and I said, oh, I was trying to call my assistant. He said, well, what else could this mean? We had good, beautiful hour and a half conversation about the question. <laughs> no, you just made me think of something. Courage lies in asking questions and being prepared to hear any answer. Being prepared to introduce to someone that there could be another answer, another way to see this thing. And Courage requires confidence, uh, but not blind shots. Look, you're either helping or hurting everybody you meet. Now you know what you're responsible. And the more you're thinking about yourself, the less courageous you are. In fact, the more you're thinking about yourself, the more neurotic you might be. I mean, let's all go to the edges of the spectrum here. (laughs) Well, Joe, listen, we could probably talk for hours about these concepts. And the lesson I want our listeners to think about and hear today is this question right? This question of what else can this mean? You know, that's such a simple yet powerful question to ask somebody as you're navigating through these challenges in a relationship that allow you to be a little bit braver at work. So Joe, thank you so much for your time and insightful observations today. If folks want to get in touch with you to hear more about the books you've written or the work that you're doing, how might they do that? CarusoLeadership.com, and we've got a new a new product we're introducing too. Cup of Joes are free. Every day you get a cup of Joe. But the other thing is uh, an employee retention, customized employee retention program that's based on four basic questions. And uh, it's proven to be more successful than all the other ones I've seen out there. Fantastic. And they can find that at CarusoLeadership.com? They will next week. <laughs> All right. Well, by the time the podcast goes out, it will already be out. Oh, Joe, yes, thanks. it will. Joe, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you very much. I had an honor and a privilege, and I like the way your mind works. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and our download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.